Hello and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts, and you can see the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Mark Bowman and Bill Peterman. Mark is a geographer who serves as the Chicago Region Program Director for the Field Museum. Before that, he taught for 27 years at Chicago State University. He's currently serving as President of the Calumet Heritage Partnership, as Co-Chair of the Calumet Stewardship Initiative, and as a member of the Millennium Reserve Steering Committee. Bill is a former professor of geography at Chicago State University, where he was the coordinator of the Frederick Blum Neighborhood Assistance Center. Prior to that, he was the founding director of the Voorhees Center for Neighborhood and Community Improvement in the Urban Planning and Policy Program at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The Calumet region of Indiana and Illinois has a great ecological significance, cultural diversity, and economic might but it's grappling with questions of regional direction in the wake of widespread deindustrialization. Mark and Bill are here tonight to, to introduce the concept of national heritage areas, to discuss why NHAs should be of interest to planners, and to show how the creation of a Calumet NHA would be consistent with and augment existing and evolving plans for the Calumet region. Please join me in welcoming Mark Bowman and Bill Peterman. I'm Bill. Mark will take the second half of the program. Um, thanks, David, uh, very much. Uh, I'm glad to be here today. As some of you may know that uh, I do participate uh, from time to time, that I'm a member of the audience, so it feels a little different to be up front this today. Um, but I feel at home because I am a charter member of the APA, uh, and before that was actually a member of ASPO, so uh, I go pretty far back. Um, was actually at the Indianapolis meeting where they uh, uh, voted to become a merged group. Um, I'm going to start and talk a little bit about the background of, of why we're here and then uh, turn it over to Mark who will talk about specifics uh, with regard to National Heritage Area and the Calumet. Let's begin with a couple of questions. First question which uh, should be obvious is what is a National Heritage Area? Uh, I'm going to talk briefly about that. Mark will then come back to it later. And the second question, which some of you may know but not all, what is and where is uh, the Calumet? Uh, national heritage areas are not national parks. They do not involve the taking of property. That is, there's no uh, national uh, ownership of the property. But they are part of the National Park Service, and they are designated by Congress as areas uh, whose natural, cultural, and historic resources combine to form a cohesive, nationally important story. Uh, they're managed by public-private partnerships, and they uh, come into being only when there is a grassroots effort or a community effort uh, to have one of them. There are 49 of them in the U.S. right now. Uh, the very first one was in 1984, and the very first one was the INM Canal Corridor uh, here uh, southwest uh, of Chicago. Um, the Calumet region is the area on the bottom end or south end of Lake Michigan, ranging from somewhere up here, which is approximately uh, uh, that, I believe, Jackson Park, but you could draw the line sort of anywhere you wanted. Uh, down along to east of Michigan City, it includes Whiting East Chicago. Uh, and for our purposes, for very important purposes, it, it, it includes the Indiana National Dunes, or the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, and it includes the uh, town of Pullman, which is somewhere over here, uh, which is uh, to be... Um, is, is currently being considered or the proposal is being written to make it a national historic uh, site. Um, we start the history, or at least the recorded history, obviously there was a lot of history before, but the recorded hi history of the Calumet begins in about the 1670s when Father Marquette 
came through along with other French fur traders. Uh, Father Marquette, as the story goes, got his calumet. This is his calumet. Uh, it's the English pronunciation, like valet is valet in, in English, and uh, fillet of fish is a fillet of fish, so the calumet is a calumet. Uh, he, he was told that this calumet, which the, the uh, pipe part of it, the stem part of it, grew out of the reeds from the region, would give him safe passage as he went down the Mississippi River. This is uh, sort of a... a mythological or uh, story. Uh, there is Father Marquette holding his calumet high and the Indians are, are recognizing him as being friendly and they don't attack. They started to attack and he put it up. You can still get these uh, pipe stems in the Calumet region. There's an area called Dead Stick Pond there and the dead sticks would be the things that you would use for the Calumets. Uh, Sarah Paretsky's uh, uh, Detective V.I. Warshawski ends up in Dead Stick Pond at one time and almost dies in the in the in the uh, book Fire Sale. So there's still some current history with regard to all of that. Since the uh, late 1980s, uh, I'm sorry, 1800s, 1890s or so, uh, you have the Calumet as as becoming industrialized. Obviously, a lot happened between Father Marquette and the 1890s, but it, when industrialization came along. The uh, Calumet became an, an industrial corridor to some to some degree. That's Illinois Steel in 1890. That's uh, if you are the left side there. That's where U.S. Steel Southworks eventually went. Um, but it's not just that it used to be industrial; it still is. This is the BP refinery in Whiting today, and of course, it has a rich industrial history. Um, the Pullman Palace Car Factory, the the Pullman sleeping cars. Uh, in the town of Pullman, this is a picture of the factory when it was uh, on the left is a picture of the factory when it was uh, first built and had this nice little pond out in front. This is what it looks like today. Uh, it has been preserved and stabilized since a very serious fire uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and it, it will be the centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of the historic park if there becomes a historic park in the region. Um, it, it, but it's just not a region of industry and old industry or even current industry. It's a, a place of very scenic beauty. On the left is the Powderhorn Lake and Marsh. It's part of the Cook County Forest Preserve, um, a very uh, rural sort of setting. Uh, but it also has brownfields. This is the old Southwark site. These are the walls that are too big to knock down. You, you just don't know. There's no way they, can, they can't blow them up. They can't knock them over. Uh, so they're trying to figure out how to, what to do with them now that they're, they're there. Um, interestingly enough, both of these sites are within the city limits of Chicago. And if you showed a picture of Powderhorn Lake and Marsh to somebody and said, where is this, the last place they might suggest would be the city of Chicago. Uh, they're historic neighborhoods, very well-maintained Neighborhoods. This is the town of Pullman over here. Um, but there's also serious problems, serious communities, blighted areas. This is Gary, Indiana. Uh, and I'm not picking on Gary. I could pick on three or four other places. Uh, but Gary may, um, is always a good poster boy for this kind of stuff. Um, now, there are uh, the Calumet region historically, beginning at about 1900, uh, attracted scientists and artists alike. This is Henry Coles, um, Coles Boggs named after him, but the importance of Henry Coles was he was one of the, he was the, one of the peop people who in invented, if you will, or began to use the word ecology. Uh, he did a lot of work, a lot of his work was done in the dunes. Uh, he was a U of C, University of Chicago um, botanist. Uh, there is a tale, how true it is, I don't know, that he planted a uh, a plant there that was not native to the area, waited 20 years, took a colleague down there and said, let's see if we can find some unusual plants. And they found this plant that he had, he had uh, planted there 20 years ago and completely fooled the other botanist into thinking that he had found something. It was considered a joke. Now, why it took 20, I mean, that's a really t 20 years to get to the punchline was a very long thing. Um, this is, this is, our painting of the dunes by a, a man named Frank Dudley, who
who actually moved his studio into the dunes area uh, and spent most of his life painting uh, landscapes or landscapes with some people in them uh, of the dunes. And both men were concerned about preserving the dunes as the onslaught of, of industry came along. Um, they joined with Jens Jensen, who most of you probably know was a great landscape architect, uh, as part of something called the Prairie Club that used to go out on the weekends and, um, and walk into the dunes. Uh, I'm told by Mark that, that Park and Burgess used to go out on these walks as well, and they would have discussions about ecology and community and some of the ecological stuff that enters into the Chicago School of, of uh, Cities. Um, came out of some of these discussions. Um, the, in, between 1913 and 1917, there was a whole series of performance events, masks, leading up to a great pageant on May 30th and June 3rd of 1917, um, in which uh, it was called the, the Four Flags Over the Calumet. And, and this was a, a grand pageant. Here are some of the people pageanting. There were young, five young women dancers who, on top of a dunes, there was music, symphonic music, uh, just about everything. Presumably, uh, an order of 50,000 people attended this event. The, the committees that were formed included a, tra a train committee. That is how people were going to get out to the dunes. Um, supporters included names like Swift and Armour, so it was a very major event. Um, now, however, recent initiatives regarding the dunes uh, come a little later. So the, now I'm going to start building from, from where we, we get our support uh, for these kinds of things. 1952, the Save the Dunes Council formed, and it was influential in helping the Indiana Dunes Lakeshore being created in 1966. And in Indiana, in 81, the Shirley Hines Land Trust now manages 1,300 acres of land, so the, preserving some of the dune structures and the open space in the area. Uh, in, on the Illinois side of the Calumet, uh, much of the early work, not surprisingly, was about pollution, environmental issues, because that's what the problem was down there. This, is, this nice little hill over here is actually a landfill. Um, and in 1980, uh, a very famous person, at least locally, Marion Burns, formed the Committee to Protect the Van Vlissingen Prairie, which was actually her backyard to some degree, um, but, a, but an important open space in the area. The Lake Calumet Study Committee uh, was formed in 1980. And then from 83 to 89, there were various battles about landfill and landfill moratoria. Um, and then by 1989, the issue became garbage incineration at Lake Calumet. And then uh, the big deal in 1990 to 1992 was the proposed uh, Lake Calumet uh, Airport, which would have wiped out most of the Illinois side of, of the Calumet area. Uh, I put down that in, at that time, the Calumet Environmental Resource Center, the CERC at Chicago State was formed. That's, it was, Mark was involved in the formation of that. I later became the uh, director of it when I went down to the, and that's how we, or Chicago State, got involved in the Calumet region. Um, in 1992, UIC geographer Jim Landing proposed the formation of a national ecological park. Uh, his idea was that you could merge the industrial area and the ecology of the area and create something that was kind of a unique ecological park. And a year later, a group called the Calumet Ecological Park Association was formed to carry that through. They lobbied the National Park Service, or they lobbied Congress uh, to, to have National Park Service undertake a feasibility study, and that feasibility study was done in 1998. The Park Service said, there's not enough here to create a national park. Uh, in any way, we don't really know what an ecological park is, uh, but... Um, they did suggest that the area was appropriate to become a national uh, heritage area um, and under the, the notion that heritage areas are for protection and public enjoyment of natural, cultural, and recreational resources in the Calumet region would be possible. The heritage area designation would afford the rare opportunity to revitalize the industrial region and protect national, natural communities at the same time 
and that the National Park Service could, and eventually did, coordinate and provide technical assistance to the community. Uh, in 1999, two really key organizations formed, the one that we're uh, related to today, the Calumet Heritage Partnership, which really was formed to, to move the notion of a heritage partnership forward, and something called the Lake Calumet Ecosystem Partnership, which was part of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources Ecosystem Program. And on the left, we're dealing with environmental issues, and on the right, dealing with sort of heritage issues. Um, I just put this slide in to show that the Lake Calumet Ecosystem Partnership boundaries were essentially those that were adopted by the Millennium Reserve of some, uh, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years later. Uh, a bunch of the Calumet partners, the ecosystem partnerships, did a lot of work on the in Illinois side. There was a land use plan. There were three research summits. The Calumet Stewardship Initiative grew out of that. Um, there was a management strategy. Uh, a vision plan for Lake Calumet, and a Calumet Task Force of Chicago Wilderness. Uh, the Heritage Partnership got off to a good start and then sort of dwindled away, and eventually the Park Service decided that it wasn't worth continuing providing technical assistance, but it persevered over the years. It's had 14 state, bi-state heritage conferences. Uh, it's currently very much involved with the Steel Heritage Initiative, um, archiving materials, from this place over here, which is the Acme Steel, and it's been the advocate for the creation of a national heritage area. Consistent with this work are some of the work in planning that's being done um, over on Indiana with the Lakeshore, the Marquette Plan, which has had three phases, 205, 208, and 213. 213 is particularly important for the uh, historic area designation because it's looking at the cultural and historic landmarks as it relates to the Marquette plan. And then there's the Millennium Reserve, um, which was, is in the Illinois side, but recognizes that the Calumet is, is, is bi-state. Um, all of this action led to a, a reworking of the notion of the heritage area, and in May of 2013, that is last year, the Calumet Summit was held, uh, and you can read over here, Field Museum, Donnelly Foundation, Arsler Middle, a number of, of sponsors of this, uh, and the notion was to what are, how are we going to move forward in the Calumet region? I just threw this, sent a fuzzy slide in it because Mark Bowman is sitting there talking on, on the radio, um, just to show you that he does do things from now on time. Um, one of the important things in the summit, and this is again the map of the Calumet region, it shows the uh, open space and, and various other things, but the Calumet summit, the, the, the participants in the summit were asked to vote on what they thought was the, um, what were game-changing ideas for the Calumet region. And overwhelmingly, the group voted uh, to move forward on a Calumet heritage area. And so that's where in May we leave off, and I'm now going to turn it over to Mark. Is it on? Yes. Thank you, Bill. The, uh, as I was uh, sitting there, it occurs to me to say two uh, things uh, further that um, are called up by what Bill has already said, and that is where he led us, and that is to this notion that this is a bi-state area for natural, historical, cultural heritage, and industrial uh, economic reasons. It sort of hangs together as a functional region uh, split by an international boundary line uh, that runs right across it. And a lot of the uh, virtue of the heritage area concept is actually it provides one possible mechanism to structure uh, by state conversations. The second thing is that the collision that um, happened in the region between uh, the environment and the what happened uh, economically over the last 150 years is the story. It's the story of, of what made the region a famous steelmaking area, but also famous for its uh, ecological history and labor history. Um, and it's the main story of national significance that a heritage area would seek to continue to tell. And it's for that reason that um, 
the Field Museum, to which I wandered a couple years ago, uh, has been interested in the area for a long time, uh, both for its uh, natural heritage and for its cultural heritage. Um, and uh, the museum is in a nicely positioned place with respect to the uh, uh, state boundaries because as a large nonprofit institution, it can kind of straddle um, the, the conversations on both sides of the state line. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what heritage areas are and then about the application of the idea to the Calumet region. So this is the same slide we just saw, but again, a reminder uh, that a heritage area is not in itself a national park. And uh, Indiana uh, has a national park, and Illinois has the proposal for a national park. Uh, not just a proposal, but legislation has been introduced by Senators Durbin and Kirk and by uh, Congressman Kelly to begin to uh, move in that direction. Um, so what we're talking about really is the landscape between the national parks, between and overlapping the national parks. Uh, they are grassroots, community-driven approaches to heritage conservation and economic development, and they are lived-in landscapes. A lot of the conversation... We're also talking about regions here and about regional planning. Uh, a lot of the conversation at, um, in conservation planning these days is moving to large landscape conservation. This is one of those very distinctive large landscapes. There are 49, as Bill said, uh, and the Illinois and Michigan is, uh, was the first. This is the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area here. That's INM here. Um, there are efforts underway in the Metro East area, uh, sort of based on Mississippian cultures, uh, and in the Driftless area of um, the four states over there. There is an alliance of national heritage areas, uh, and it's each NHA has is authorized by Congress, but it has an affiliate relationship with uh, national parks. Um, they and every day is a new day. Um, each one of these 49 kind of grew from its own uh, sources. They say if you've seen one NHA, you've seen one NHA. Um, <clears throat> they're constant efforts to maybe bring that into some kind of overall alignment and some programmatic uh, structural coherence, but uh, that is, day isn't quite here yet. Here's a, one way to see the difference, and this is important because in 1998, when that first National Park study came up, uh, there was huge amounts of resistance to it in Indiana, and in fact, there continues to be lots of resistance to the park itself in Indiana. The park has had a tough relationship, the Indiana Dunes National Park, which was created in 1966. Um, and so it's important to say it's, it's not about taking. Uh, you can have a national heritage area overlap a national park. Um, many of the most successful ones do. Good examples, Cuyahoga National Park in Cleveland and the Ohio and Erie Canalway National Heritage Area. Um, in Essex, in eastern Massachusetts, there's a couple national parks. Um, and it's important to say that it's locally managed and really grows from local sources. So... Um, it's really not an imposition from above. Just a slight detour to Germany. Um, some of the, uh, this is the, the Ruhr area, which is sort of Germany's Calumet, um, which uh, thought of the same sort of landscape park idea, the collision of industry and nature is the main theme of the Ruhr area. And Essen was the European cultural capital in 2010, and a lot of that grew on the, uh, the history, the technological history especially, of that area. And uh, these are scenes that were, I think these originally popped up in the garden issue of New York Times Magazine in 2005. Uh, this is in Duisburg. Um, again, here's Orwalls, like the ones Bill showed at Southworks, but very creative uh, redeployment of these structures. So I mentioned a couple of these, Ohio and Erie, Essex, 
uh, are doing very well. Um, Pittsburgh, Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area, has a lot to a lot of similarities, a lot of thematic similarity to the Calumet region um, with that steelmaking heritage. But even there, there's not nearly the same emphasis on the ecological value that there is in the Calumet region. Um, this is the Cary Furnace um, in Homestead, Pennsylvania. So the, the Rivers of Steel, they have a building that they've bought and they operate out of, and they also, Allegheny County owns this, but Rivers of Steel operates that, um, that furnace, and uh, been some interesting things that have been done here, kind of Germany-like uh, reuses of that structure. Ohio and Erie, in many ways, is a lot easier to interpret because it, it's about 140 miles long from Cleveland through Akron and Canton, and it's a canal pathway. So here's, it's, it, I say it's a, a cleaner interpretation because there's the towpath, the ubiquitous me. Um, there's a railroad now that runs alongside the towpath. Um, that you can do cool stuff with, like uh, uh, take your bike on it and then uh, for just a few bucks uh, put your bike on it and then and get a ride up the path and then you can ride back the other direction. And then they also have the America's Scenic Byway, very well signed. The wayfinding is really good from downtown Cleveland right here uh, all the way out to uh, south of Canton. So, but why here, and what's what's unique about this particular place? <clears throat> so, in many ways, it comes back to the sort of, you know, the triple bottom line uh, mantra of modern day uh, community redevelopment and regional redevelopment. But the triple bottom line, which is really expressed in the landscape, there are very distinctive areas of biodiversity that are globally important. There's uh, technologically sublime bridges, landfills, steel mills, refineries, and, uh, and it's still a vigorous industry. And then, of course, the communities that grew up around it. And all built into this landscape in which they all are mixed to stunning effect. Um, earlier today, I was looking at the 1998 Park Service Resource Study and their point about the national significance of this region is, is expressed here. It says, based on the region's urban environment, the broad period of significance represented by the resources and the monumental scale to which people have transformed the natural landscape in response to industrial demands, the Park Service concludes that the cultural resources of the region are significant under its criteria. So that significant is a, is a big word for them in this particular context. It means it could be included as a national park. So <clears throat> it's about the mixture and the collision of these three things and the scale. And uh, the region, as Bill has been pointing out, has been part of... Uh, uh, thinking for quite a while. This is the work of Alfred Meyer, who was a professor at, at, at Valparaiso from 1954. From the 30s through the 50s, he was working on a series of studies of the region that sort of conceptualized the whole place as a natural historical and human historical uh, region of, of, of coherence. And that's been pursued through this map so please take one as you leave. It's on the back table there. That kind of gets across the story of it's all of it colliding in one place. Uh, that was the insert to the Chicago Wilderness Magazine, the late great Chicago Wilderness Magazine uh, from fall of spring of 2009. Uh, there's the feasibility study that... Um, this is just one way in which you could see the 
globally threatened habitat. Most of it's in the dune and swale topography. That, in fact, is between the national park here and Pullman over here. So this is, this is one reason to really zero in on some of these sites. Uh, this is actually lifted from the Park Service's resource study, the sorts of things on one particular theme, transportation, that are some of the cultural resources. Um, some of these things have been the subject of interesting efforts. The Calumet Sag Trail is breaking ground later this summer and will run from Lamont all the way ultimately to the Indiana state line. There have been efforts to make a museum of the interurban South Shore Railroad itself, which is the thing that was part of bringing people out to the dunes back in the day. Um, some other things. State line power plant just closed, designed by Graham Anderson, Probst, and White, roughly at the same time that they designed the Field Museum. Uh, this is probably coming down. Um, the um, various other things in technology, and then, of course, places like Pullman itself, Marktown, an interesting community in East Chicago, Indiana, another uh, planned industrial community. So the history of planning. And then, of course, labor history. Uh, it's very important. Pullman, of course, has made much of this in its bid for the National Historical Park. But some of these other things happened around the edges. Actually, Pullman builds on uh, A. Philip Randolph's uh, organization of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters as part of its application. But um, Trumbull Park, very important place for the story of uh, integration in, in Chicago or the lack of it. So why now? Um, let me just do a quick time check. Oh, we're, we're pretty good. Uh, so the summit, um, convened by the Calumet Stewardship Initiative, um, which called this out as a, an important priority, uh, the National Parks Conservation Association, a kind of a friends of the parks group that can help it plan and raise money for it, um, called it out as they looked at how the dunes can do better. Uh, they, they found that the, the Dunes National Park, Chicago's National Park, is underutilized. And connectivity to that park is something that would really serve the park itself very well. Uh, here's the 1998 study. And then, as this thing is sort of gathering steam here, it's being called out in Indiana's Marquette Plan, Illinois' Millennium Reserve Plan, and the Pullman National Park Plan also explicitly calls out the possibility of a heritage area as being very good, so that you would get two national parks bracketing this lived-in landscape here. And of course, this broader boundary may not be the ultimate boundary, but it's, it's drawn so that you could have a good study area, really from the Valparaiso Moraine Ridge up to the lakefront. And it encompasses Blue Island on the one side. So this is the Little Calumet River here. Little Calumet River starts way over here and flows like this the Wayward River. This is the Calumet River. The Grand Calumet does something like this. Often, almost within sight of Lake Michigan, and it just can't quite get there. It's like a nightmare. The river's actually, lit literally now, they've been re-engineered so that in places the rivers flow in different directions. Um, so anyway, you can see that the, the, uh, the idea would be to frame the national parks with this underlying uh, story. Now, it's not the only effort in the region. And here it is again. Here's the national parks. This is actually, these are uh, units of the national park. There's another one down here. And why is it so fragmented here? Well, this is what started out as Bethlehem Steel, right in the middle of it. <clears throat> the day it was founded in 1966 was the day of 
Bethlehem Steel got started too because it was a great compromise to have a park with the industrial facility right in the midst of it. So that's the Indiana Dunes. Here's Pullman. The shading here is the Illinois and Michigan National Heritage uh, National Corridor. Illinois and Michigan in 1984, its original authorization uh, stopped it, stopped its borders at Harlem Avenue. And it was when it was reauthorized um, about five years ago, it was extended along the south branch of the river to downtown Chicago and along the Kaimet Sag Channel to the border of Illinois. Uh, and they are really only just getting started on thinking about how to interpret the eastern, the new parts of its area. It's worth saying you can also have heritage areas overlap each other, depending on what the, what the thrust of the story is. This is the Black Metropolis National Heritage Area effort, which has moved along pretty well, aiming really at 2016. If they can um, get to authorization, then they're hoping for that as a kind of a centennial commemoration of the Great Migration um, really getting off the ground to, to, from the south to Chicago. So there's different designations and different things that folks are working on with generally pretty decent coordination uh, about it all. Um, now, <clears throat> one way in which to talk about this and to build support has to do with its economic side and, uh, and, and the reasons why one might do this. Branding the region is one thing. So, like, what is that when you go through it on the train or over it on the Chicago Skyway? What is this? Um, there's a basic curiosity about that landscape. Um, and get people off the road and get them into the area. If so, it could potentially uh, stimulate economic development. So the Alliance of National Heritage Areas in 2013 finished a study of the economic impact of national heritage areas. They said nationwide they're contributing about $12 billion annually in economic activity, which is about the level of Starbucks. So that's really high. I mean, and that's caffeinated. And about 148,000 jobs uh, na nationally. Some are better and more productive than others. Uh, and in fact, the ones that have the interaction with the national park are doing better economically than those that don't. Some cities like Baltimore have a national heritage area and have used it to, as a springboard to move more properties onto the uh, National Historic Register, about five-fold in the years that Baltimore has been a, an NHA. Cultivating environmental and cultural preservation. I think telling that story of the interrelated landscape is really important here as the regional uh, actors are realizing what they have as assets at hand. Amidst the industrialization, they also have at hand rare and endangered species, very unusual environments, uh, places that people want to come to, fostering education and stewardship of natural and cultural resources. And then this is, I think, really a good one here, the potential through the process of planning such a thing convening this set of bi-state partners in a way where they're not necessarily at each other's throats over uh, smokestacks chasing, but rather um, are working together on some common vision. So the Cayman Heritage Partnership continues to work on, on this process, and uh, the partnership is a bi-state entity. Uh, it's got uh, incorporated in Indiana with a bi-state board. This annual conference bounces back and forth from Indiana to Illinois to Indiana to Illinois. For the first 10 years, it was typically on campuses. 
And among its more successful conferences have been in the last few years when they came off campus um, meeting in the Blue Island City Hall and taking a field trip of the Calumet Sag Channel by canoe and kayak, uh, meeting in the Indiana Dunes Visitor Center and taking a rail journey through the region, uh, last year meeting in the Pullman factory building itself in Illinois on a day almost as cold as this one. Uh, it's unheated. Um, this, this coming year in October, late October, this, this uh, annual event is likely to happen in Whiting, Indiana, hometown of the, uh, the Rockefellers who bequeathed a, a beautiful community center on Whiting. And Whiting, if you look at the walkability scores, is off the charts and comparable with some of the central parts of Chicago. Um, very interesting environment. Um, and convening conversations on the question of, like, what do artists think of this region? How have they portrayed the interaction of industry and culture and environment over the years? So just like that Frank Dudley painting that uh, Bill showed. So you can find out more about the partnership at the website, calumetheritage.org. And there's also a Facebook site for the partnership, calumetheritage.org. Um, another good website is the um, Calumet Stewardship Initiative. It has an events calendar for the region, so calumetstewardship.org. Oh, that's Blue Island. This is uh, some of the other work that's going forward at the Pullman site. So there's an archive in there, and there's a gathering of some steel artifacts, starting to interpret that. So at the end of the day, this region of 1.8 million people um, has some interesting potential. And um, I think a growing number of folks are thinking that a heritage area is a good way to get this conversation coordinated across state lines. Uh, both states have new comprehensive, or both regions have new comprehensive regional plans. Marquette plan is about the accessibility of the Lake Michigan shoreline in Indiana. The Millennium Reserve is this geography in Illinois. Um, and I think the next steps coming forward in the next year or so will tell the tale if this thing has some real uh, um, possibilities behind it. So right now, it's, uh, it's a, as Bill pointed out, it's at some levels it's had 100 years of a run-up, and now in the last uh, 10 or 15, it's starting to see some real possibilities. That's the last slide, right? So, great. Thanks. Let's have a round of applause for our speakers. And just as a reminder, we're going to open this up to a Q&A now. And because we're recording this for a podcast, just put your hands up, and I will come to you so we can record your questions. Could you guys talk about the economic development initiatives that have happened in other NHAs that have been more established? Because I guess I'm wondering, how does industrial become a new economic development initiative or how does new industrial come into an area that you designate as a national heritage area because it seems like they would clash I'm not sure it's about a clash so much as a complementarity uh, there, there hasn't been a, I based on what I know I don't think they've used it much as a springboard for new industrial development um, really, a lot of it is about turning the perception of the region upside down so that industry would even think about locating uh, anew. And, and that has to do with um, uh, better school systems, better assets for uh, labor force, um, you know, an infrastructure that works, and a perception that this isn't a dead end. Um, the Rivers of Steel area in Pittsburgh is, is kind of interesting. Uh, the Homestead Works, which was the scene of maybe the other great 19th century labor uh, clash, um, subject of a, 
a really good recent book called I'll Meet You in Hell, which is <laughs> uh, about Carnegie and uh, Frick and Pinkerton. Um, the homestead works is mostly gone now. Um, there's the one building that the NHA has and a few other scattered structures in what is otherwise a big box mall. Um, and that's the reality in the Monongahela Valley. Um, the uh, Some have pointed to maybe Lowell, Massachusetts is one possible way to, to build forward um, with some, um, you know, getting a university involved in it and housed in it. Um, but um, I would you, you may have seen on here a couple of places where Arcelor Middle has been supportive of this. So Arcelor, which has bought up the remnants of a lot of the American steel industry that is not U.S. steel. So this used to be Acme steel, this used to be Inland steel and LTV, and this used to be Bethlehem steel. Is very interested in this effort um, because they've made their North American headquarters in Chicago and want their, you know, their, it's about turning that regional perception upside down for where they are. I'm not sure I answered your question, but that's the best I can do. Uh, Mario. If uh, this was, if the uh, na national heritage uh, area was created here, what would be different about the area in ten years, in your estimation? I'll I'll start, and Bill can clean up after me. Um, I would say that one of the main things that would be different would be a, a coordinated wayfinding system across the region. So that would be one really big one with a system of interpretive signage, um, possibly some exhibits on the ground. Um, but and I don't want to oversell the possibilities of this. Um, I mean, I'm a true believer that it's a good thing to do, but it took 150 years for industry and nature to uh, dance together in a particular way, and it's going to take a long time to get it back together again. So my hope is that it fosters a lot of that stewardship and perhaps some of the multi-jurisdictional uh, activity together that starts to maybe move a couple of large projects forward. There's, I'd just say one other thing. I think you might see a couple of... Um, it would be... There, there's talk about figuring out how to do something kind of really bold on the landscape. There's a lot of sanitary landfills in this region. What they do in the Ruhr area in Germany is they top them with um, huge public art that are become that have become central places of where people meet and, and convene and stuff. Perhaps something like that. I think one other thing which probably would happen, but it'll happen in a more coordinated way, uh, is that there's the CalSAG Trail, which will, in fact, come along here and sort of end up here, um, will become more of a network of trails uh, throughout the region. And I think while, again, it's not just because there will be a National Heritage Area that will happen, but I think it would facilitate the notion of your traveling through this region. There would be signage that would, would tell you about some of the historical things that were there, some of the cultural things. And I think seeing the region as a whole would facilitate people um, visiting it and using it better. The, tra the, trail, the trails, that's an excellent point. Um, and actually, you don't have to wait as long for a lot of the ones. Uh, if, and again, as Bill points out, you don't need a National Heritage Area for this to happen, but uh, in Hammond, in particular, there's some and and Whiting. There's some really interesting bike trail development, and now there's a movement for some water trails across the region. And this is this blob here. This is Wolf Lake. That's what you're driving over on the Skyway when you or on, when you entered the Indiana Toll Road. Um, there are trails being built, a, a bicycle trail being built right now across Wolf Lake, um, and that will link with the bike trail that goes to the gate to the refinery in Whiting, and that will link to the 
tra uh, trail that Bill was mentioning here on the west side of Wolf Lake. Uh, if you've been on Wolf Lake and you kind of go, whoa, uh, where am I? Uh, that, that will be an interesting bicycling experience that you can't get anywhere else in the metropolitan area. Um, just as if you were to go to Lost Marsh Golf Course and get up high on one of the landfills and take a look around you, uh, the sort of huh, refinery there, uh, communities over there, church steeples, forests over there, uh, it's a really kind of... I think in some ways this is this is the region where we'll be able to test out some ideas that might work in Metro East and in Cleveland and Detroit and, and some other similarly deindustrialized landscapes. I think I have a follow-on to, to this sort of question thematically of, of what would be the difference potentially 10 years from now if the designation happened. Uh, does the NHA program, is it associated with a pot of money that then a designated area would then be eligible to apply for to do some kind of work? And if so, what type of work could you use NHA program funding for? Uh, diff diff so um, you, d you do get some money to help you do a management plan. And you do see, like the INM Canal does, a sort of a coordinated set of activities uh, both coordinated wayfinding, but then also coordinated exhibitry and interpretation uh, across the region, um, a cultural and arts activity. Uh, Rivers of Steel does stuff with local schools that gets them engaged in, in the work. Um, and um, you, there are things for which you can leverage the, the federal money but you can't use it to do. Um, so a lot of paper do. Yeah, and I and I think the the issue was that um, that one of those early slides that I showed that said this is a private is a public private partnership. So you're going to use whatever money you get in whatever the designation is to leverage other dollars, you know. And so uh, there are some other dollars out here. You know, Barcelona Middle, USX doesn't seem to have much interest at this point, but they might. Um, and certainly there's, there's foundation money and there's other kinds of money that if you had this and you had some projects that grew out of this, I think you could leverage a fair amount of money into the region that you wouldn't get without the NHA. Thank you. Uh, as a son of the Calumet region, it's very interesting to me. Uh, maybe I missed it, but could you walk us through, let's say, the next three to five critical steps that you foresee in order to uh, either get to a critical mass of activity uh, so this becomes successful? Thanks. Good question. Um, there's already the 1998 resource study, so that's a kind of a nice starting point that a lot of uh, fresh start NHAs don't have. Um, in all likelihood, that would need to be refreshed uh, to take account of some new things. So a feasibility study, which could begin pretty soon. Um, uh, it's important to have the backing of critical uh, local public officials. Uh, that is sort of where the phase is right now, gathering that level of support. Um, because ultimately, uh, the, the next phase, the next big decision point is when to introduce legislation. Nobody would introduce legislation if they didn't know there was widespread backing. So uh, meanwhile, uh, while that feasibility part is happening, uh, sort of building local support through local actors, uh, the conservation community, for example, Save the Dunes, Shirley Hines Land Trust, um, uh, other actors who are involved in land conservation are being brought in, and then the local history communities are part of it. So sort of building a, uh, a little momentum at the grassroots level so that when the time comes, the legislation can be carried. When the legislation is introduced, then it, it sort of 
um, and if it succeeds, then what happens is a management plan is produced, and that can take a few years to do a management plan. Management plan would determine what the ultimate uh, entity would be in its composition as to who would run the thing. In the INM Canal area, it's the Canal Corridor Association who is the management entity um, of that of that area. So. Uh, I would say um, things, while it's an effort that is 15 years old, it's, it's still kind of rounding first base in terms of building that broader possible level of support across the region. <clears throat> to continue the uh, focus on implementation, I think Northwest Indiana RDA has been spent some money in Miller Park as part of the trails around Hammond. Uh, are you going to be able to coordinate some of that with some of that? Those expenditures maybe influence them and on the Indiana side. I know on the uh, Illinois side, some of us worked on the uh, successful revitalization effort with Ford Motor and the supplier park, and there were contributions came out of that for a nature center and some donations of land, uh, Hegwish March with Norfolk Southern and so on. So there are pots of money on both sides. It would be interesting to hear if this could tie into some of that. And I guess a related question, one of you, I think, is sitting on the Millennium Park Reserve effort, and I'd like to hear a few comments on where is that going and how does how does that help or hurt this? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting you say help or hurt. Um, because whenever there's something happening in one state and not in the other, it's a matter of uh, getting things coordinated. So I think ultimately help. Um, the Millennium Reserve Steering Committee, which was sort of created about a year ago this time, uh, prepared a package of projects that the governor could announce, which he will probably do in a few weeks, Governor Quinn. Um, one of those projects would be um, to offer support for uh, a heritage area as a possible way to, to bridge the state, state line gap. Um, there's a number of other things that I, I think are in the mix um, that speak to both community, environment, and economy, uh, some workforce development things, some school-based things and some nature preserve-related uh, things. Uh, not ready to announce that yet, so and that's his, his call. But um, so that's the thing on the in Illinois side where they've been, the committee has been pretty receptive to this idea. On the Indiana side, the, as Bill pointed out, the Marquette plan work is got, um, what, the, what it's doing now is adding in the historical and cultural piece that wasn't in the first two phases of the Marquette plan. So that actually makes it not only access to Lake Michigan, but um, it builds in with the, the co-leadership of Indiana Landmarks in, in working on that. So they're talking about later this calendar year or early next year being done with that plan, but they're thinking about this heritage plan as one way that they can move to uh, implement what they come up with as an inventory. The NERPSI, and the NERPSI along with Indiana Landmarks. Um, and Indiana Landmarks, uh, Tiffany Tolbert is, is on the board of CHP. And I think the point that I was trying to make, maybe I didn't make it well, but uh, that a lot of these initiatives like the Hegwish Marsh and the uh, the nature center that may or may never get built, but uh, and the open space land all feed in to this. And, and the actors who were involved in that are still actors in the whole process. So it's not just like we came out and said, oh, let's do an NHA. You know, it's, it's, it sort of organically grew out of all of these things that have been happening uh, that started out maybe as local little initiatives, but then have, have blossomed into a more coordinated effort. Uh, Mark's been involved in this for 25 years. Uh, I came along a little later, about 20 years now. Um, and we've seen this grow from like little 
pieces of things to a much larger picture, uh, and we're hopeful that, that this will be, um, if it's not going to be the thing that solves all the problems, it's just a way of, of better coordinating things. Aspect there before is, you know, we're looking at two states and five counties and about 68 uh, local governments and um, park districts and forest preserve districts and water reclamation districts and levy districts and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and nobody's um, building support is going to take a while. Uh, RDA has been a major player and has really helped get, like, for example, that Wolf Lake thing is going to be really great. Um, but I think everybody, I think, and I think when people have seen what came out of that, it's like, that is the coolest bike trail I've ever seen. And Oil City Stadium in Whiting, what a what an amazing place. And starting to see some of these possibilities, um, you know, I think in 10 years, maybe, you know, everybody in Chicago will go to Pierogi Fest in, in Whiting. I think for the sake of time, we'll let that be the final word. Let's have one more round of applause for our speakers. Thank you. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Mark Bowman and Bill Peterman for a thought-provoking and informative program on the Calumet National Heritage Area. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.